This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Hello there. YouTube Music is a new app that combines everything you expect from a streaming service with the magic of YouTube to bring everything to life. With YouTube Music Premium, you'll get ad-free music that plays with the screen off or while using other apps. Finally, so stoked. Get music wherever you want it, even if you're offline. Download the new YouTube Music app today and start a free 30-day trial. Then just pay $10 a month. Of course, trims and restrictions apply. YouTube Music is unbelievable. I love it. I love using it. You should too, okay? $10 a month. It's perfect. All right, now here's the show. Hi, hello, everybody. Welcome to 100 Words or Less, a podcast in which me, the host, Ray Harkins, talks to other people who are involved in independent music and the creation of it or the consumption of it or the documentation of it. I like to, you know, try to change it up for those of you that listen to a week to week basis, because sometimes you get caught in a verbal rut, so to speak, and you do the same thing over and over and over. But anyways, the guest is Donovan Malero. He is the drummer slash vocalist of a progressive post-hardcore band called Hail the Sun. The reason I sound like I'm uh, like I'm questioning what I'm saying is that this band's hard to define. But uh, Donovan is a hustler, and Hail the Sun is a absolutely just they're just a great band. Like if you like musicianship, you should definitely definitely check them out. They're putting out a record on Equal Vision called Mental Knife. Comes out December. December no not right, September 28th. So uh, basically in a couple of weeks, you can check it out. And I've heard the whole thing. It's really, really good. Full disclosure, the producer I manage, Bo Burchell, he uh, did this whole record. So I got to watch it be built from the kind of the ground up, but it's uh, very, very good. Removing my own personal attachment aside. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a behemoth. So um, anyways, let's talk about Rockabilia. You knew that was coming, right? You got band merch. I'm wearing band merch as we speak. I pretty much wear band merch every single day of my life. And Rockabilia should be your outfitter of all band merch. Use the code PCJabberJaw and that will get you 15% off your entire order, which is unbelievable. You know, that's uh, that's a pretty good deal. So do that because they have half a million items, everything that you could possibly imagine from all of the bands that you are currently thinking of, even bands that you're probably like, I wonder if they have like a super old band shirt from like 15 years ago. And it's like, they probably do because, you know, maybe that band broke up and they're sitting on a few random t-shirts here or there. They have great customer service, fast shipping, everything you could possibly want from a good customer service company. That is what they do. I love Rockabilia so, 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 so much. And thank you very much for their continued support of the show. I just, I I like it. It's such a logical sponsor of the show. It just makes me so happy. So rockabilia.com, PC Jabberjaw, 15% off. Boom, there you go. Here's some other announcements as well. If you are downloading this like immediately, like the Wednesday it comes out, the following night, September 20th, if you are in the Orange County area, you should come hang out at a venue called Riff Mountain, uh, which is located in Fullerton. You can easily Google it and you'll be able to find the address. But uh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm doing that whole like emo night DJ thing, except not in like the emo night that you're probably thinking of from a sort of glossy commercial perspective. But, uh, you know, this is like, you know, it's a warehouse space. We're hanging out with some people playing some some bands. 
I'm putting together my playlist right now and it will be super fun. It's everything from, you know, the classics of Jimmy World and Promise Ring and that sort of stuff, uh, you know, all the way down to uh, Anasarka and some other bands that people are going to be like, I don't what is this? I don't even know what this is, but it will be super, super fun. So it starts at eight o'clock. So please come out, Rift Mountain. That's, I just, I would like to hang out with you and I'm, I'm going to buy some red vines. I'm going to hand out red vines to people because <laughs> I think, isn't that what you're supposed to do as a DJ? <laughs> I just thought I was like, yeah, that, that's a fun vibe. How, how about red vines? So uh, anyways, it's that. And then October, I have hinted at it for a while, but uh, yeah, I've, I've locked everything down. I'm very excited. I'm going to be doing a special sort of series uh, called Be Specific which is basically an idea that I had a couple months ago in regards to, you know, when people talk about the music industry and like, you know, have music industry advice podcasts and all this other stuff that, uh, all this content that kind of bubbles up around the music industry. Um, a lot of it isn't very specific. You know, a lot of it is, is talking about generalities is talking about, um, you know, my experience on this tour a long time ago or whatever. And I, I like all those discussions, but I just feel very passionate about diving deeper into the idea of like being specific. So I'll, I'll use an example where I, one of the guests on this series is uh, Shane told he's the vocalist for Silverstein and Silverstein, you know, whether you like the band or you hate the band, they are a real band. They have made themselves a living out of it. And it's uh, pretty spectacular from that perspective, like just sheerly, like I said, if you do not like the band, you have to, you know, give them props for like, Hey, they've been able to figure this out. So, you know, we talk about like, you know, the, how much money they were doing in merch on a certain tour and like really, really specific stuff. Uh, but hopefully this will be a series that I'll continue to do. So basically the whole month of October, I've got all of these music industry people, friends of mine who are willing to be specific about this stuff and not just be, uh, you know, speaking in general terms. So, I am looking very much forward to releasing those and hopefully you find it interesting. So if you are inter- if you are into the music industry whatsoever, you'll probably find some value out of this. And, you know, I tend to not sort of music industry nerd it up on this show, but uh, yeah, I just wanted to dedicate a whole month to it. So there you go. And I have an upcoming mailbag episode that will fit into that as well. So if you got any mailbag questions, email the show 100 words podcast at gmail.com. There we go. That's all that. Okay. Putting that aside. But you are very, very excited to hear this conversation with Donovan. He is a, uh, yeah, just a sweet dude. He's been through it. He has battled addiction, um, you know, had a lot of rough times in regards to that. And uh, he is very open and honest when it comes to that. So it was a great discussion. Discussion. Sometimes I just trip over my words. But anyways, here's Donovan, and I will talk to you after the episode is over. Like all of a sudden your band just existed in my world. And, uh, you know, from booking the time in the studio from, you know, recording with, with Bo Brichelle, the producer who I manage. And then, um, you know, just being like, Oh wow, like you're on equal vision. And like, there's all this stuff. And in many respects, it's cool because then all of a sudden your band is kind of more fully formed than, you know, just being like your debut LP or whatever. Um, yeah. But I, I'm, I'm guessing that is a common experience with your band where people are like, oh, yeah, you're new. But it's like, well, no, we've been like we've been around for like eight years. Like, well, like- yeah, <laughs> exactly. And, and uh, I think because we're just now coming to the surface for lots of people at a, a definitely a more rapid rate. 
people do think that we are a new band. I've been told that a lot. And I guess in a way to them, we're a new band, but we've been touring since, you know, 2010, we formed in 2009. We, we've been going at it for a while now. Yeah. I mean, that's like legit 10 years. (laughs) Yeah, dude. I I was just thinking about that the other day, like next year is going to be the 10 year mark from where where our band was formed. Right. As as the four of us, who we are now. And that, and I do think that, you know, uh, especially with pop culture in general, like, you know, because we have the internet and because everybody's attention is so fractured across all of these different things from, you know, music to movies to podcasts, whatever, that even though people are just getting into you, there's no real late to the party from that perspective, because then all of a sudden they're being able to consume a wide body of music from you guys. And it's not just limited to like, Oh yeah, the 10 song LP we just released. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, that's another thing I've been told is because people think we're new band and then they go and dig up our discography. They have a lot to dive into and to keep them busy until we do put, put some new shit out. Right. And do, do people, I guess, kind of on the flip side of that, do people that, you know, discover you, uh, you know, from your more recent recorded material dive back and are like, Hey, your early stuff sucks. Like, because most bands early <laughs> stuff like, you know, is, is not as fully formed as what they're releasing now. Does it, I mean, I'm sure people don't just like commonly say that to you, but right, uh, right. <laughs> uh, we actually get, get a lot of the opposite. A lot uh, of the opposite. They're like, we, they love the earlier stuff and our first our very first album pal right in the kisser it came out in 2010 we recorded it in the the music studio at california state university chico <laughs> and uh we had our our really good friends one of my my best friends his name's fernando macias he was the engineer of that of that album and he was also the studio manager at chico state university so he would just kind of sneak us in when there were vacant time slots sure. on the calendar, a lot of those, a lot of the time that was between midnight and 6am. So over the course of I don't know two months, we just sneak in and record st- uh, our music there. And I'm very proud of it, but it's definitely not as a current sounding recording. You know, there's no uh, replacement of drums. There's no auto tune on vocals. It's very, very raw. Right. And, uh, people still really like it. And that's what surprises me the most is I feel like, um, a lot of common listeners, if the audio recording isn't fucking pristine, then they instantly gravitate towards not liking it. Uh, but that it's different with that one. I mean, it's not pristine recording, but people seem to really like it still. And I, I guess I'm stoked. Yeah, no, that's an interesting point because there definitely is that element of, uh, many people, uh, liking a band's earlier recorded output because it's, you know, more raw. Like, you know, like you said, you're not, you know, you don't have any money. So you're, you're spending $40 to record a record in like two days, you know? And like, but then, you know, it it is interesting where it's like, you look at, um, you know, if something isn't, uh, recorded, like not even well, but just like appropriately, that record sounds dated in like two years, you know? And like, yeah. And then plus like trying to, uh, you know, imbue meaning in a band. Like, you know, if I played a hardcore kid, a hardcore record that came out in the mid nineties, that sounded like it was, you know, recorded in a trash can, you could be like, this band's really important and blah, 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 blah. But then you played for them and they're like, yeah, but it sounds terrible. And you're like, well, yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, very true. But yeah, but that's, that's interesting that, that, uh, you were, 
the, the that sort of shoestring aspect of of recording on off times and stuff like that that actually reminds me of um i mean like you know henry rollins and a lot of the black flag guys have you know documented the fact that they were recording in in pretty nice studios but yeah between the hours of like midnight and 7 a.m because that was the only time that was available for the rates that they had or whatever yeah exactly dude and and there's something about recording at night that i'm i and i i feel like i share this with a lot of my um musician friends we just love it and being like 10 p.m to 6 a.m i feel like some of the best ideas come out during that time frame and the last let's see the last two records we did no the last three actually were were in were like daytime times like 10 a.m to 6 p.m right and it was weird initially trying to transfer my mindset and and the creative mind i guess if you will to a daytime setting i was so used to doing vocals and drumming like in the middle of the night stepping outside it's kind of cool outside smoking a cigarette and going back in doing the same thing uh it was really weird having to be the middle of the day and I'm just like sweating and out of breath recording an album. I, 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 it took some get, some getting used to. Right. Well, that that's like the, um, you know, many people look at like a, a professional basketball player where it's like, you know, they have to peak between the hours of like, you know, 7 to 10 p.m. Because that's, you know, usually when the games are. And so, yeah. like, you know, they're taking, you know, naps at like 3 p.m. And like, you know, they ha- you have to kind of tune your body. So the adjustment period of what you're talking about makes perfect sense because you're like, okay, well, technically I'm still, you know, like on the, the, the show time of like being ready at a, you know, for a 8 or 9 p.m. set time. But like recording is different because I have to, you know, I, I have to be up at a reasonable time and I can't sleep in until yeah. like noon or whatever. <laughs> Exactly. And uh, my schedule for the last four years has already been, I got to be up, uh, before, uh, 10, preferably before nine to start like a normal work day. So that was, that's always been really tough to balance recording schedules that are in the daytime with the work. Sure. Cause you're on the, you're on the hustle booking and, and, and managing and everything like that, which will, which oh, will, yeah. which will, we'll, we'll get to later. But, uh, I, I wanted cool. to kind of laser laser point the focus on, on you specifically. Um, you know, I know uh, the, the band and, uh, you know, yourself kind of came up in Chino. Were you born and raised in, in uh, not Chino, sorry, Chico, Chico, Chico. huge, huge difference. Um, <laughs> uh, were you born and raised in Chico? I was born, no, I was not. I was born in Ventura, California, and I only went to Chico State University uh, for school, for, for college. Oh, okay, interesting. That's, uh, why, why'd you go to Chico? That's really random. So I used to work at an Italian restaurant, me and Eric both. Uh, we've known each other since, since the third or fourth grade, dude, and we've been in bands together since the sixth grade. Okay. So we were working at this restaurant together in high school, and Eric just brought this this pamphlet from a job fair, some shit he had at at his high school that day. And it showed Chico state university having one of the best recording arts programs in the country. And I thought that was really appealing at the time I was recording bands all the time. I was recording our own band like that. That was my passion at that time. I thought I was going to be in the recording world. I just loved it so much. And that's what made me want to go to Chico was it just had a fucking stellar recording program. So we took the uh, the eight hour trip up north for an orientation to see if it was a school for us, and when we loved it. 
that is so random because I had, um, I mean, I've lived in California for most of my life and have worked in and around the music industry. I had no idea that Chico had like a renowned or well-known recording program. That's crazy. Yeah, it was, it, it definitely surprised me and not very, very many people did, but a lot of Chico graduates were going off and getting really good audio jobs um, in totally different fields. Right. Uh, or, or, or uh, I guess a variety of fields, but it all had to do with audio and recording or something like that. Live sound. Wow. It was killing. Dude. Okay. That, yeah. Now that makes more sense. Okay. I see. I see. <laughs> yeah. Cause it usually, you know, Chico, it gets kind of lumped in to the idea of like, okay, you're going to be into, uh, you know, agriculture or like city planning. Like, you know, there's a lot of like, uh, sort of trade jobs that come out of Chico and, and right. you know, I guess you could argue that, you know, recording music is, is a trade as well, but I just didn't think that the, I, I guess, creative arts were, were fostered there. Yeah, it, uh, it definitely is more of an like it's it's like you said the big agriculture program and shit, but very huge art community. Uh, especially they they have a great theater program, uh, and that's that actually that's where John met his uh, fiance, and she got a theater uh, a theater degree from chico but it's very artsy type of school got it got it okay interesting so that okay being born and raised in ventura i'm i'm very familiar with ventura and that whole area um so like you know what was your what was your family structure like growing up like mom and dad in the house brothers and sisters yeah uh, i grew up in uh the same house uh, my whole life uh they did not they my parents had just moved to their current house right before i was born and uh I have an older brother, two sisters. They're always around. It's a pretty, pretty solid um, childhood. Like uh, my parents had my older, uh, older brother and sister. See, my brother's let's see, eight years older than me. My sister's six years older than me. And then um, I came along. I believe I was uh, a little accident, right? Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) and. Because of that, they decided to have my little sister, so I'd have a companion growing up. Uh, so that that's that's the base. That was the something like I, I I've always been real close with my siblings, especially my my younger sister. Yeah, that, that's uh, that's really interesting that um, your parents then because uh, you know sometimes when a uh, child comes along unexpectedly, they're like okay, we're like, we're done. But the fact that they, you know, doubled down and they're like, okay, no, you know, Donovan needs, needs a person to you know, <laughs> hang around with like that. I mean, that's honestly, that's really cool that, that they had the, um, I, you know, I guess plan or vision to be like, okay, well this, this is for the betterment of, of him, even though, you know, we didn't expect to have two more technically. <laughs> yeah. They definitely didn't expect that. It was a, like a gift. I like that. Yeah. A gift. Like- Not an accident, <laughs> a gift, Donovan. <laughs> exactly and and so uh like what did your parents do for a living and stuff like that my mom is a teacher she's always been uh we we grew up i I guess the word i i would use these days is very progressive type of household i have i was around lots of different um they they wanted to get us involved in many different cultures uh, mainly like the Indian uh, or I should say Native American stuff. Uh, like we would go to powwows and shit uh, from time to time. My mom worked really closely with a lot of, um, she, she's a teacher, a bilingual teacher. And she is this little, uh, I shouldn't say little. She's a, a petite white woman who speaks perfect Spanish. And my dad is a 
a very dark Mexican man okay. who speaks Spanish as well, but my mom almost speaks better better Spanish than he does. Nice. <laughs> constantly, te- I know she's constantly teaching it. He came to the United States when uh, he was eight years old, and they met in Santa Barbara, actually. Okay. But um, my dad's a, a music teacher now as well uh, for like elementary to junior high school. Nice. And we went to school. In, me, me and my younger sister went to school in Oxnard, California, where my mom was actually teaching at a school called Tierra Vista. Okay. So we were always around um, Spanish and that culture, that, that Mexican culture, because there's a big population yeah. of Mexicans in, in Oxnard. And my mom has always been an advocate for farm workers' rights and uh, just basic humanity rights, actually, in general. Sure. Um, and so I, at the time, when we first moved schools, I, I was at an elementary school in Ventura, and they transferred us to Oxnard. I was super bitter about it because the school in Ventura was really nice. They just built this huge playground. It was way close to our house. Uh, but my mom really wanted us to go to school in more of a uh, cultural environment. And I'm really glad that she did do that because we, I grew to like that a lot more and come to appreciate the things I had a lot more as well because there was a lot of less less fortunate kids at that school uh, and the schools that I went to in, in Oxnard. Right. So I'm, I was, I was able to really appreciate what, what we did have, especially later in life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Once you have the perspective and you've been out in the world, you're like, oh, wow, that actually was valuable that I didn't just attend a very, uh, you know, monoculture high school where it was just like, oh, yeah, you know, like 98%, you know, white or 98% Hispanic. It's like, oh, yeah, like you know, there's a predominant, you know, um, uh, r- racial makeup of most schools, but like, you got to sprinkle it in with other kids because otherwise, yeah, you're just having this really myopic experience and not knowing what anybody else is experiencing besides your other other white or Hispanic or, you know, insert race here neighbors. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's no, that's really cool that that your parents were, um, you know, they, they had the, they had the foresight to kind of do that. And I I also really like the fact too, that, um, the, uh, you know, the, the narrative that most people have in regards to, you know, how their families, uh, you know, got together and how their mom and dad met and all that sort of stuff. But then also the, you know, the immigration story of like, oh yeah, my dad came over when I was eight. And like, I always think that's really, you know, powerful, um, to have that narrative in kids' heads because, you know, sometimes maybe parents don't openly speak about that for one reason or another. Um, uh, but it's cool that that's clearly part of your, your, uh, context and heritage. Yeah, absolutely. And did you say, uh, I, I may have fucked that up, but he came over when he was eight. Yeah. Yeah. No, not when you were eight. No, when he was eight. Yes. Yes. Gotcha. But but still like that, that, you know, that like, you know, very hard fact of like, oh yes, he came over when he was eight years old. It's, it's just cool. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and he learned English just while he was here, he had to go to these English schools right away. Didn't know a fucking single word of English and has some pretty funny stories of times he was trying (laughs) to learn it with the kids around, but he did, and and now they 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 actually both speak fluent French too. Oh, that's they're very multicultural. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, they they really are, and and I I was glad to be in a, in a household where, uh, from a very young age, they would instill in us the idea of equality and not judging someone by the color of their skin or their sexual orientation or, or, or shit like that. Right, right, right. No, totally. That's super cool. Um, 
the uh, so you know as you started to you know grow up and and become kind of you know your own person and own interests and stuff like that how did um you know independent music kind of start to you know tickle your fancy um was you know i mean clearly you were raised in a musical household but like you know how did the the the, the stuff that your parents probably didn't understand start to come into your radar <laughs> well i started first just really like getting obsessed with music when um I got into Frankie Valley in the four seasons and that was back when I was, I don't know, five to nine years old. I was obsessed with the, the that oldie style of music. And after that started listening more to what my brother, my older brother was listening, was listening to. He liked a lot of, uh, uh, punk music, like, like underground punk and crush shit. Bands like crass. Um, one of my favorite bands still to this day, uh, punk bands is rudimentary peni. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it sounds like you are. No, yeah, absolutely. No, it's cool. I, I, I just really enjoy when people have these, uh, disparate influences, like the stuff you're getting into, but then the stuff that, you know, your brother's into that, uh, you know, clearly like, no, you know, that band existed in the late seventies, early eighties. It's not like you would have an access point for that unless someone didn't recommend it to you. It's cool. Yeah, exactly. And, and he was growing up, uh, uh, in the same household and I would hear him play rudimentary P and I, and I, I just, I love those songs so much. They're so fucking weird. And that's when I realized I, I, I liked to, I definitely liked stuff that was a little more weird. Um, a little out there, a, a lot. It didn't sound, I guess like the, just like the shit on the radio, which I still liked. Um, then got into a band like no effects, the offspring, huge on punk. All, all I did was play punk beats on drums. I did not know how to play any other beat except for the classic. That's all you need. dude. That's all you need. Three years. That's all I fucking played. It was actually my, my high school band, but that the Eric was in Okay. that we started to explore different, different genres. And I had to learn beats that were not just punk beats, but the no effects offspring era, uh, was something that was huge and very, very influential on, um, like I, on harmonies, the, the fucking fat Mike is just a genius with, with yeah. scripting these fucking great harmonies and having songs, punk songs that weren't just verse, chorus, verse, chorus. And I realized that, Oh, you can do that. And then started checking out bands like, um, boys night out and, and, and the number 12 looks like you follow Troy, all these bands that were just pushing, pushing the boundaries, I guess. And, uh, when I first heard some, some boys that out shit in high school, it was the first thing I thought of was these sound like death metal lyrics, but they're sung like the most happy pop song shit ever. Right. And I realized you can do that. You can, if, if I want, I can put some really dark type of lyric or lyricism in very happy sounding songs. I thought that was fucking awesome. But my parents definitely weren't, um, they didn't quite get the scream, the, as they would say, the screamy shit. Right. Uh, like my junior to senior year. And they kept saying, it would piss me off so much, but, but they'd always say it was a phase. They, oh, like they still come to all of our shows. I played in a metalcore band because of this and, uh, and a death metal band. I was the drummer, uh, both those bands. And they'd still come to our shows. They were so supportive, but they'd always would just say it was a phase, screamy music phase, and I fucking hated that so much. But <laughs> they were right. They were they were definitely right. It was a for me. I, I didn't continue on into like a metalcore or death metal future. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you still like it, but you just didn't uh, pursue it from a musical. Exactly. Creation. Yeah. 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 That's a lot. Uh, a better wording <laughs> yeah no but that's uh i mean it, it's cool because i i think that you know that you, there's a few things you said in there that that were really reflective over i think most kids that start to you know create their own music and start to be influenced by all these different things is once you feel like you can um you know uh, like stretch your wings and start to you know put different styles together and like even though you're doing it terribly because you're only 16 or 17 years old <laughs> yeah. you're, you're you're still experimenting with it where you're like oh yeah like we can do you know we can throw these weird things in a blender and then you know uh, i don't know if it's going to work but we'll try it at least and then you start to feel like you're actually writing a song or something like that yeah exactly man and actually one of the first albums i listened to that i was just it was, uh, I, I had the aha moment. Like, I can't believe this band's doing this it was between the buried and me is Alaska in oh, high yeah. school. And that's when they really blew up. And everyone at, at school was talking about between the buried and me and then the Alaska album. And, uh, it was very cool because it started the beginning of, for me, from what I was noticing a beginning of, uh, musicality appreciation amongst very young kids. They just loved how versatile between the buried and me uh, is. And they're, fucking great musicians they they have to know how to play their instruments and that was something um that was really cool to see like okay these talented dudes are getting recognition and this music that does require talent and skill to play is it, it can be appreciated on a on a, a bigger scale right absolutely yeah it's like the because most people, uh, regardless of genre of music, uh, you know, they don't look at the most popular artists and say, Oh, they are the most talented. So I see why they're the most popular, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. like, yes, you can argue that there are certain bands that are popular because they are so technically proficient, but yeah, most of the time, you know, credit, uh, isn't, isn't due to the person who, you know, shreds the hardest or combines the most musical genres. But yeah, that's cool that you started to recognize like, Oh yes. Like, there is, you know, I'm glad that talent is being paid attention to in our little, you know, musical world or whatever. Exactly, man. And, and this is sort of on the side, but when you were saying that, it, it, it reminded me of, like, I think of bands 40 plus years ago, even 30 plus years ago to tour, to recreate albums, to be um, a very successful, iconic musician. You actually had to be good. You, you had to be good. Yeah. O- only good bands are touring. Only good bands are getting signed. There was talent there. And it was in, you know, it transferred over into this age of you can have a lot of really successful uh, musicians and performers who who may have not had a fucking chance 40 years ago. But now with the the way that we're able to to craft songs and computers and stuff, it's not wrong. I'm not I'm not talking shit about about this. I just trip out on it sometimes thinking how these the the bigger bands of our of like the sixties and seventies and eighties were actually really talented. They had to fucking be good live in the studio. There was no fixing up of rhythm or, um, like a drummer had, it had to be so good to just keep a salt, like stay in the pocket. You couldn't bump it really. (laughs) You couldn't, uh, time correct it. And that's just, it's really crazy to think about. Anyway, I, I I, I saw, I I saw that with like, with the drum videos of Alaska, uh, and, and I forget his name. Fuck Blake. Blake, yes. yes Seeing yes. Blake play these songs in uh, in the studio, and it was still so perfect. I was just blown away, and I thought, man, I really want to get better at, at my instrument because these guys are are killing it. And it's it's very possible. It seemed it seemed within reach. That that that's cool. I, I definitely like that that tangent because it is. Um, 
you know, you, yeah, you can't put a uh, beat detective on, uh, you know, these, the, <laughs> the, the seventies records that came out. And then yes, there, you know, it's like, there are bands that, you know, get up on stage that have a difficult time, like, you know, tuning their guitar and you're like, yeah. it's like, are, <laughs> like, whoa, that is wild. Like, it, really? Like you should at least have some semblance of how to do these things. But, uh, yeah, I think, I think those are the easy bands to like take shots at where you're like, dude, like just, just play, like, could you play like 70% of your songs? Maybe, like, yeah. <laughs> maybe, I don't know, but yeah. Um, and so the, why, I mean, it, it sounded like, uh, you know, drums were kind of the, the initial instrument for you. Um, you know, why, why did you, I guess, gravitate towards that more so than, you know, guitar? I mean, I, I know you play guitar as well, but, um, you know, was, was drums kind of like always the, the, the love of your life? I, I can't pinpoint the moment, but I know when I was five years old, my parents, um, bless their hearts and their, their ears bought me a drum set for my birthday and they put it upstairs in my brother's room for me to play. And my brother actually would make me like, I, I, I think at times I didn't want it. He'd come in and like, just tell me to play. And I would just hit a bunch of random shit over and over again. And then he started telling me, he said, okay, now just start playing, like hit the hi-hat four times. And then every two and four time hit the snare drum. And we would just, and I would just practice that for hours, like starting in fifth, sixth grade. And I picked it up really quickly and started, um, being able to play, um, like a, 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 a bunch of different types of beats at a very young age. And I think my whole family realized, okay, he's definitely a drummer because my dad's a keyboardist. It runs in my, in my family, especially on my dad's side. Uh, my brother is also a drummer and a guitarist and drums. I, I, I don't know why my parents got me a set. I think they had a feeling maybe I would be a good drummer. So they got me started really fucking early. Yeah. And I've been playing since then. Like, yeah, like you said, bless their hearts because they're, I mean, most parents are like, yo, uh, drums, like we can, we can handle any other instrument, <laughs> but just like drums where it's like, it's going to be the loudest thing at all times. So that's, that's <laughs> what I mean, dude. Like they, they put up with that shit. And then, uh, three years later, they upgraded my drum set. Cause the first one I had was like a, literally a paper drum set. Like the skins were paper. <laughs> and then I got a real drum set, but it was still a, ch- a children, a child drum set, very small. Sure. Um, when I was in second grade and I used that one up until seventh grade, maybe. And I inherited my uncle's drum set. That was the Tama, a very old Tama. We still have it. It's like from the eighties, a uh, very old Tama set that's, that, that's that, right. that I would use, but they never, um, I, I thank them now in, in my old age, in my, my older age, but they've never once told me not to play. Like I, I was playing all the time and night they'd come home from work and, I, and I'd be playing for a couple hours still, but they never, I, I could tell they were tired too and probably had headaches, but they didn't tell me to stop. Yeah, they, uh, they let me jam on. They encouraged it. I think that's like, that's the sign of a good parent because I mean, well, <laughs> I, 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 I have a seven year old kid and it's one of those things where the, the one thing I focus on is where it's like, I don't know when he's going to find the things that he's going to care about the most, but once he does, and once he expresses interests, like, honestly, no matter what it is, as long as it's not destructive where it's like, Oh, okay, cool. Like you're, you're super into beating people up. Like clearly I'm not going to, <laughs> clearly I'm not going to support that, but, uh, yeah, you just, you just have to find what your kid's into and then, and then support it in the best way you can and not snuff it out, even though you may not understand it. You know, it's like, you gotta, yeah, gotta support it. That's great, dude. I, I, that makes me really happy to hear. I completely agree Yeah, for my future children, as long as it's not destructive or causing anyone harm, right? I'll be there. 
Right. Yeah. You, it's like, and especially too, you, as a, as a parent, you will 100% not understand probably what it is they're getting into <laughs> or it's like, you know, whatever, you know, kids super into video games and it's like, Oh yeah, video games will rot your brain. It's like, well, you know, that's what they, that's what my parents said when I was playing video yeah. games. And it's like, look, look where it is now. It's like, yeah, I, I think you might've been wrong on that. <laughs> that yeah. didn't fix, but I, I, I digress. Um, the uh, something I want to hit on was, uh, you know, you, you've been really, you know, open about your your, your drug abuse and your uh, self esteem issues that you know basically led to your drug abuse. Um, that uh, that's something that I think is, I mean, first of all, it's it's great that you put that out there because clearly it makes other people feel less alone because you do that. Um, but I, you know, the the idea that uh, you know in, in Ventura in the Santa Barbara area, like as in most areas, uh, there are a lot of drug abuse problems and it kind of becomes pervasive um, where some kids, like if you have an addictive personality, you're almost set up for failure like that. You know, the moment it gets introduced to you and it's, yeah. it's this mixture of like, I don't really think I'm valuable yet. There's this thing that kind of lets me escape my body. So of course I'm going to do it. Um, you know, now that you've been, uh, you know, sober for a couple of years now, um, it's like, since 2010, am I correct? Or is it later? I 2009, 2009. Okay, cool. Um, do you, is it one of those things that you, I guess, reflect on it often, like your sobriety, or is it something that you is kind of just like who you are now? It definitely feels like a part of of who I am. Uh, I don't just identify as that, obviously, but it, without that, nothing like that I've done or accomplished would have been possible. I'm, I'm certain. Of, I'm certain of it because of where I was at right before I did get clean, uh, and I do. I, I'll still draw parallels just in everyday situations about my type of personality I have and, uh, the addictive personality rather, um, and the way that I may have behaved in the past. And I, I realize uh, I'll think of like, for instance, when I was in eighth grade, my, um, we were at a friend's barbecue down the street and we stole a couple beers and I, and I, and I hid them in my room um, for like two weeks, I forgot they were fucking there, honestly. And I, I, I didn't even like beer, but we just took them because it was something to do. Like we were kids or we were eighth graders. One day my, my dad's upstairs making my bed when I'm not home and, and he finds them. And that night I come home from a friend's house and my parents have the most stern talking to, and my, and, and, and my mom was telling me how my dad, uh, what was even, um, cried a little bit when he found those. And I, I was eighth grade, like tripping out. Like I, I was being a dick too. I'm sure I was just like, why, why? Like, I'm sorry. That's just, just beer though. Like I, I didn't even plan on drinking them, but they seemed to make such a big deal about it. And I did not understand it. And they kept saying like, you, you don't, you, you probably don't understand quite understand, but you're more at risk for, um, this being a problem in the future. You know, your brother has it, your dad, um, is, has had it, uh, or, or has it. And I didn't quite get it. And that was something I realized in my sobriety. I think back to that time and thought, Holy shit, they, they saw it. They saw that that was a, a very scary thing for them because another one of their, their children had already, um, opened that can of worms and where almost every male on my dad's side is, it has gone through that. So I was definitely pre predisposed and they saw it. And, and I, I remember when I thought about that, it tripped me out. Yeah. They were right. They were totally right to be so upset um, with just finding beer. Like in, 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 in my head at the time, it was just like, I'm just a kid having fun. Yeah. 
Right. But I, I, I definitely didn't get to the full extent what they meant. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Because all, all you're looking at is it's like, this is this little thing, like, leave me alone, suppressive parents, like, just, just, <laughs> just chill out, you know, but then yeah, you're not, you're not carrying around the, you know, 20, 25 years of perspective that they have. And like, yeah, o- only as you get a little older, and like you said, you know, have the sobriety behind you, where it's like, oh, yeah, I see why they made a big deal of those two beers, you know? <laughs> yeah, dude, absolutely. And And the way that I lived my my life, following that from, you know, the age of 16, 17, all the way to 20. Um, I was, it, it was definitely, it took a couple of years to get used to not living that way. And now there's times where I, I almost don't remember what it feels like to be uh, high or drunk or, um, hung over almost, I guess is, is, or dope sick. Yeah. But I, I, I'm almost afraid to fully forget because, those are just really good reminders of why of of why not to do it. And, and, and it's just been, I, I, the type of person that I am, it, 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 I can't quite figure out exactly how I'm trying to word what I'm trying to say. It's okay. Um, I, I, I do relate a lot to like, I, I try not to deviate too far from, um, A's, recovery type of mindset. There we go. That's right. what I'm trying to say. I, sure. I'm always in that and, and appreciating that I wouldn't have what I have if it wasn't for, um, getting clean yeah. nine years ago. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's a very, um, that's a real thing for a, a person like yourself who, you know, like genetically is just, you know, is disposed to this. And like you said, you've been through it. You've, you felt that, um, and as humans, we have the ability, uh, good or bad, to be able to forget the bad stuff that happens in our lives. You know, it's like mm-hmm. we have the ability to kind of put that in the rear view, uh, you know, I mean with elements of trauma that are attached to it, but right. we do the ability to forget stuff. And so, yeah, you kind of keeping those feelings, you know, at an arm's length is a report, important reminder for you to be, like you said, not fall back into it. Be like, Oh, it's, it's actually not that bad. And then you're like, Oh wait, what am I talking about? That was terrible. Exactly. Like, yeah. Exactly. I see what you're saying. Yeah. And, and there's been times where I have hit those, those points where I've never come close, but I thought like, was it really that bad? Like I might be able to fuck around with a beer here and there. And that, that may very well be true. It, it really, I, maybe I could, but just why even risk it? I've seen what that's done to friends. I've seen what that's done to people who helped me get clean. Like just why risk it? It's, it, it's not worth it to me. And, and that's just me. There's people that, uh, can, can drink and party and even use hard drugs for fun and like, and keep it at that level. They never get into the, the addiction part. They, they maintain the abuse part and, and can be like, ah, I don't feel like doing Coke today. Like I, I had way too crazy of a night, not advocating for Coke, but you know what I mean? I know what you're saying. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think no matter what, like, I don't care who you are, it catches up to you in some capacity, whether it's your health, whether it's like relationships, like there's, there are probably very few people that, uh, yes, you can accumulate these experiences and be like, Oh dude, I live like crazy lifestyle for like 10 years or whatever. Um, but then, you know, they don't have the ability to recall all of the, you know, 
it just the, whatever the people they've hurt. Cause it's like, you know, whatever people look at like Keith Richards and are like, Oh my gosh, I can't even believe he's alive. Like it's, it's the amount of drugs that he has done and you know, everything else that he is, that he has put in his body. Why is he still here? But then, you know, there is no way that you can look at the, you know, litany of people that he's undoubtedly hurt because of his abuse. And that's like, yeah. And that those are, those are the things where it's like, you know, people don't stop to consider that, you know, like, especially when you mythologize, you know, drug use and abuse and stuff like that. So, yeah. I, yeah. That's such an interesting point. I've, I've actually never even thought of it that way myself is yeah that dude's probably hurt a lot of people and anyone like him has gone through that and 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 hurt other people and we don't really see that Mm -hmm. those outcomes and and the other lives that have been affected aren't in the spotlight because they're not famous totally totally and it's like the the having you know the the clarity that that you have now of like what what your you know how much better your life is away from that um it, it does give you the ability to be like oh yeah like why would i trade my, you know, sobriety in my life for, you know, these, these things that are, you know, whatever fleeting and these experiences, it's like, I could still experience all this stuff. It's not like, it's not like I'm missing out because I'm not consuming these things or whatever, but yeah, I'm, exactly. I mean, I'm, I'm coming at it from, I'm, I'm straight edge and I'm 37 years old. So like, I'm, I'm completely on board with what you're saying, but I just, <laughs> but I just, I, you know, I do feel very strongly when I see people like yourself being able to share their story, because I do think that it's so it's powerful to be like, yeah, like I'm, I'm, I'm cool and I'm functional and like, I just don't need this stuff, you know? And it's, uh, like you said, it's not for everybody, but yeah, it's cool. I am so incredibly excited to tell you about this week's sponsor and they are green chef. What are they? They are a USDA certified organic company that includes everything you need to easily cook delicious meals that you can feel good about. They give you step-by-step instructions. They walk you through it. It's awesome. And they have a ton of different meal plans, including paleo, vegan, vegetarian, keto, gluten-free, omnivore, and carnivore. And their expert chefs design recipes, thoughtfully sourced ingredients, and gourmet flavor that you only find usually in restaurants. And dinner should be planned around your life and not the other way around. So let Green Chef take all that work off your plate as far as meal planning and shopping and prep for you week after week. You can switch up your meal plan and change the box you're getting whenever you want. I love this so much. So I'm vegan. My wife's vegetarian. Sometimes it's fine. It's hard to find that sweet spot where we're both like, yo, this is really good stuff. We had a chickpea salad that was unbelievable. But my personal favorite, we had a corn chowder with some basil pesto that absolutely blew my mind. It's so great. They come in these little, you know, plastic baggies that you're able to recycle and it's got all the ingredients. It's so easy. I am not a cook. I am frankly pretty terrible at it but i can follow directions and i made every single one of these meals for my wife and she was like wow you're awesome and i'm like i'm not green chef is awesome <laughs> it's making me look awesome so please go to greenchef.us slash words and you get 50 dollars off your first box that's greenchef.us slash words okay there is no reason that you shouldn't try this they've got a ton of options and the vegan meals are so good i can't recommend them enough okay greenchef.us slash words, $50 off. Do it up. The, um, you know, you've always struck me just from an outside observer, like you're a very driven person where, you know, clearly you're hustling the band and, you know, you've booked many bands and you continue to be involved in the music industry in a very formal capacity. And that's always something that it seems like you've done because of your band where you're like, okay, I guess I'll be the one booking shows and stuff like that. And, um, you know, sometimes like that, uh, you know, that doesn't correlate 
to, you know, usually the drummer isn't like the business person or the band or whatever, you know, it's usually <laughs> like, oh yeah, it's like the guitarist or the singer. Like that's kind of the default thing. So where in your mind does that kind of hustle come from? Like, is that just something you kind of always had? Like, you know, I, I presume your, your parents obviously instilled a, a bit of that in you. Um, have you ever kind of thought of that? Um, I have, and, and they definitely instilled working hard, but I, I can actually relate that also to getting sober is when I was actively using, I never had money and I, I'd make decent tips and shit at, at the, the, the pizza spot I worked at, but I still, I, I just never had money. I was always spending on bullshit and forgetting about it. And I, when I, when I first got clean, I started taking and still to this day, insanely detailed notes of every dime I made and every di- uh, every dollar I spent, uh, no matter what, cash, uh, c- credit card, or not credit card, debit card. I kept detail because I was so sick of not knowing where my money was going in my years of using. And that kind of led to this um, obsessiveness of being very organized. So when the band st- started doing more touring and more stuff like that, I think it was a more natural segue for me to then turn my drive of wanting to uh, get drugs or, or, or do things that were bad for me, turning that into obsessing on shit that was good for me and that would move me forward. Uh, and also I was super um, untrustworthy, dishonest when I was using, I, I, I wasn't really reliable and I hated that. I hated once I got clean that I, that I, I had been that way and I felt like I had something to prove and, and I wanted to be the opposite. I wanted to be able to be super trustworthy, very honest, someone that, that had it all together. Like I looked up to people who um, were in, in, in my, my same classes who just always seemed to deal with pressure fine. And and no matter what, even if they didn't have the answer, they would, I I still felt like it was more of a, I don't know yet, but let me get back to you type of of mentality. And I love that. I I envied it. And and I, I could never hit that though when I was living an unhealthy lifestyle. So once I got clean, I decided I was going to turn all of my focus that may have gone towards bullshit into just moving forward and trying to, uh, be someone that people could count on and someone that, that, uh, could, could, I guess what's, um, could produce, could, could, could get something done and, and be very reliable. I guess that's where, where it kind of comes from. Dude, that, that's rad. I, I love that. Um, be, I mean, because it is like when you have an addictive personality and you start to remove the, those things that you're addicted to, you know, people have a tough time funneling their energy into, you know, usually you see people get super into religion or, you know, um, you know, smoke like 40 packs a day, which, you know, it sounds like you spoke and that's fine, but, the, uh, yeah. the, but like, you know, you got to focus your energy somewhere and it's cool that you were able to, you know, focus it on something that, you know, was so positive And, and like you said, just kind of learning, uh, learning things that will ultimately help your band because, because of the fact that you were trying to, you know, focus your attention to the, something positive as opposed to, you know, getting swallowed up by something negative. Totally dude. I, and, and I do appreciate that. I, and, 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 and there were small things that would move me along where I've realized, holy shit, I was able to save this amount of money and that it wasn't even that hard. Like why couldn't I have done this before? And then, so that, that was really, um, uh, it was really encouraging. And then when we booked our very first tour, like I, I, I sat down, we, we all had a part in the first one, 
but the like, second and third one kind of fell more on me because I could just get it done quicker. Right. And, and I learned if I wanted something done right, I really had to do it myself. And that's still uh, well done to I, I shouldn't say that I, I don't No, done your done your it, way. What you feel is the best way to do things. Exactly. And, and I still oversee. I have to be involved with everything that involves my business, um, uh, any type of, of business I'm involved with and the music that that we're writing but i'd book our our second or third tours and 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 look and look at it and think like we did it we pulled that off it wasn't it wasn't as hard as we thought in the end and it was very rewarding and shit like that get helped to provide with provide me with the mindset of if i think if i want it if i can dream it as cliche as it sounds i think i can do it i'm just gonna go for it no matter what because the worst that can happen is it just doesn't happen but then we try right and that consistently done that more and more. And, uh, I, I got into this like self-help type of phase of my life, maybe a year, year and a half ago where, um, still, I still practice, you know, positive mindset, positive self-thinking, uh, and wrote down a list of goals and timeline for those goals and like studied them and just looked at them and, and almost tried to dream them into existence. And some of them started happening almost immediately, dude. It was, it was such a trip and it, it, it made me even more so, think like nothing is impossible short of me and i'm not, I'm not going to step out I'm on the roof and grow wings and fly sure but if something can be worked towards a goal then the only thing that's going to stop it from happening is is me it, i'm the only person that's going to fuck it up or get get in my own way and like coming from a place 12 years ago where i was jumping off my parents roof into i kid you not a trash can full of uh water because it just rained um lawnmower grass in dog shit jumping off that to sneak out as the water pours all over me when i fall to now it's like i I, i've been able to to see that it is possible i I don't have to um live a way i don't want to live and anything's really achievable as long as we're going at it very very focused and even in in high pressure moments or times where i might not have the answer I, i i like to remain cool about it because I think uh, it's really important to those around me as well who I'm working with that um, we don't lose sight of the goal and don't lose control and don't freak out. Just realize, okay, we might not know what's going to happen next, but don't worry, I'll take care of it. That, that, that type of mindset. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's, it's really cool. It's definitely um, you know the, the best way to, uh, to approach things. And I think that the people that become interested in the sort of the business side of the band and like, I mean, cause most of these things are like when you reflect on a booking agent's job, like you could not have a more thankless job. Like, I don't care. <laughs> like I honestly, because it's like it, no one shows up at a concert and is like in the back of their head, you know what? I'm really glad the booking agent put this here. Like, no, <laughs> literally zero people think that, you know, but, but people, yeah. but people like you and I who have booked our own tours and done that sort of stuff where it's like, if we go to an event, that's like, you know, somewhat impressive. It's like, damn dude, someone like pulled this. This is rad. Like way to go. You know, it. <laughs> it's like, I always think that I'm just always like, that's amazing. I can't believe that that occurred. That's cool. Like it's so hard. Yeah, to, dude. It's so hard to do. I'm the same way. I, I, I love, um, appreciating the behind the scenes factors of everything. It, it definitely has opened up my mind even more to think of really in any everyday occurring, even the county fair that's happening right now, the planning that goes into that 
is fucking crazy. I'm sure it's, I, I, I <laughs> totally. love that shit so it's, much. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's it. totally. And then, and then it's funny too, because I'm sure you do this like often where if you look at something that's like, yeah, like the fair where you're like, Oh yeah. Like, you know that, like that, I can't believe that's amazing. They have all these things here, but then you look at ways that they can improve. You're like, Oh man, <laughs> oh, man their merch, their merch could be better. Like, you, you know, <laughs> yeah. Like you just, I will, I will seriously think that shit too. Of course. <laughs> Anybody that does that, it's like, oh man, I wish, I wish I could talk to the person responsible for this. Cause I, I'm sure I could help them in some capacity. Exactly. And, and, and not like it, I really try not to be like, man, why the fuck did they do this? This is fucking whack. Like I could do a way better job. Yeah. Not like that. More like, Hmm, I wonder what the thinking was behind this and why they didn't do it this way. Because I feel like the, the latter of, of those, of those thoughts is a lot more productive unless like nothing's going to get done if I'm approaching things that way, it's got to be like, okay, what can we do here to change this for the better? But, but I, I try to e- even practice my own thoughts in that, in that manner to be a less, uh, less abrasive and more, more, um, I want to be helpful. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> totally. Totally. Um, last couple of things I want to hit on, uh, was the, I don't think I could look anywhere on the internet, uh, that is written about you and hail the sun that people aren't like, Oh, Donovan, dude, it's crazy. He plays drums and he sings. It's so <laughs> wild. Like, uh, you know, it's I mean, it, it, the the piece writes itself like even though you know you've been a band for so many years and like this shouldn't be surprising anymore um but the you know as you started to you know do that and start to develop the chops of being able to you know do both of those things because you know clearly uh, drumming is a is a one of the most difficult things from a fatigue perspective when you're on stage yeah um, like, you know, walk me through like some of the times as you started to do that, where you were just like, was it harder for you to like, uh, to, to do the singing side of things? Or was it harder for you to be like, all right, I completely lost where I was because I, I was singing this part so well or whatever. Like what was the, I, I guess the, the pieces that were missing and how, how are you, how were you failing miserably before you actually started to feel like you had, <laughs> like you had a, uh, you know, a sense of it? Well, I was, I'm very fortunate in the sense that it, I, I've, it's always been, uh, way more natural than it has unnatural for me okay. to, to drum and sing. And the way it just started happening was me and Eric, once again, would be jamming in my garage in, 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 in high school, uh, after class. And we didn't have a singer or a drummer to really play with. So I would just do both just out of necessity. We'd cover all these band songs and I would uh, just drum and sing because that's what that's what we needed, needed at the time while he was playing guitar. Yeah, exactly. And I realized I could do it, but it wasn't like, oh, my God, I can't believe this is uh, like w- w- we should really capitalize on this. In fact, not many people know um, in the very early years of Hail the Sun, uh, I was still, of course, the drummer and writing on drums and Eric was on guitar. But we've had months where in 2009 – I was playing bass for about six months, maybe uh, playing bass and singing. And we, and we had a drummer who, who jammed with us for that time frame. And then when, uh, we got a bassist, I ended up playing second guitar and I was playing second guitar for about mm, six months to a year with hail the sun while we had the same drummer who was jamming out like just for home gigs and shit like that. I, I'm still always right on the drums. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of came full, full circle. We found Shane and we all went to college uh, or went back to college and the drummer lived in SoCal. So I just started playing drums again and singing. Um, so I realized I could do it, but 
when I would hear record live recordings, I realized I just couldn't do it very well yet. And it was mostly the singing, the drums. I mean, my tempos have always been crazy, but those were a lot easier to work on and get steady than being able to really sing well. Plus, I feel like in, in a band like Hail the Sun, on, on the live setting, when it comes to drums and vocals, out of the two, vocals are the focal point. So I really wanted to make sure those were super strong. And even like our first three years of touring, I still would have, um, I'd be super pitchy live. And I know that because I'd watch live videos afterwards, either that I filmed or friends had filmed. Mm-hmm. Uh, very pitchy. Um, and um, it wasn't until probably 2015 where i was like okay i i need to get much better at this i got like right now i can pull it off and do okay yeah but like, i like, fucking kill it so i started practicing more drumming and singing and uh really focusing on uh my breathing was a big part i think around that time i started exercising a lot more i exercise off the road i do i do a lot of running for endurance uh purposes and while i'm up on stage i'm always uh, keeping track of where of where I'm at uh, of, of where my breath's at, I guess. Mm-hmm. If I'm breathing really hard, I take it a little easy. Uh, I don't blow my I don't blow my whole load on the first two songs because the biggest struggle is the breathing. As long as I have a um, a full, uh, I, I can I can still sing with full breaths and use a full diaphragm, then I'm good. I, I can really train myself to hit the high notes when I need to and, and hold them out just as long as I need to really just concentrating more on making sure that the vocals are, uh, are right on par because the drums are at this point way second nature. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's like you, you, it's cool when you, you feel like you, you get to a point where you're like, okay, I, I, this is uh, a reactive and instinctual as opposed to like, I need to really think about it because otherwise if you had to think about both the drums and the singing, like, you know, you would just end up step, you know, being terrible at both, <laughs> but like, <laughs> but yeah, no, that, that's cool. I, I, I just was, was, was very interested in that, that sort of like, you know, what, what, what came first, the chicken or the egg scenario. And it's like, yeah, right, as, right. as, as that kind of builds, that's, that's cool. Um, it's pretty simultaneous. Yeah, no, that's cool. Um, so, something else, and this is more of a, a, a linguistic uh, scene definition thing, um, but I'm sure that you've noticed it just because you're, uh, you're are you in your late 20s? How old are you? Yep, 29. Yeah, that's what I thought. So, um, you know, mo- most people, you know, would, would look at Hail the Sun and be like, oh yeah, post-hardcore. Like that, you know, that's that's the, the broad definition of the term. You know, you guys, Dance, Gavin, Dance, you know, I the Mighty, whatever. All of those bands that kind of, you know, Circus Survive, like that exist in that whatever post-hardcore definition of what it means in the 2000s. But, you know, clearly there was a, a prior generation of post-hardcore bands in the 90s from like Quicksand and Shift and a lot of the bands that came out of the New York hardcore scene that were like yeah. not playing hardcore. And so I... I I mean, of course, music genres evolve and they, you know, emo in the 90s means something different than emo in the 2000s. Um, you know, and so like, you know, how, how does it not like I'm expecting you to be like, oh, yeah, like, you know, I don't like to call us post hardcore for reasons A, B and C or whatever. But, you know, yeah. I, I, I'm sure you've kind of looked at that and be like, well, yeah, I guess the the most accurate description is, is post hardcore because, you know, we kind of came out of the, the hardcore and punk scene, um, but we don't sound like that anymore. Um, so it's like, I guess, technically, in certain respects, it's like the post post hardcore scene, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I, don't know, I just don't know if you've ever put any thought into that beyond just the fact that like, well, yeah, we're just we're just kind of a, a band um i have yeah i, I definitely have and, and and like you said i would brand us as post hardcore but um, i mean seriously post post hardcore 
really makes more sense. <laughs> right. No, uh, no, one, no one wants to say that though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. For being accurate. Um, I do think that we fall in that realm. We pull from so many different types of, of influences. Uh, each one of us individually, John grew up playing, uh, funk and like red hot chili peppers shit, uh, was one of his favorite uh, groups growing up. Uh, Eric comes from a jazz background as well. Same with Shane. And Shane likes a lot of those like 80s, 70s bands. Um, I think he likes Quicksand. Uh, yes, a bit, uh, he likes Yes a lot. And fuck, honestly, I, 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 he likes so many different types of band of uh, music. I couldn't even. Could, yeah, you're like, I'm not even going to pretend that I know what he's talking about. Yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> but I, I say post hardcore is about right. It, it, like with older people, I'm talking like 40 or uh, 40 or up these days. That I mean, I just say we're a rock band, really. Like it all comes down to that. We just play rock music or, or, or progressive rock. I, I, I say that a lot more yeah. now as well. But I do like the post hardcore branding. Um, I know there's like this movement that I think is, is really cool. Uh, that swan core shit. Have you heard of that? No, I mean, I, I know the fact that it's like it comes from, you know, the, the dance, Gavin dance, like the, uh, was it Will Swan, right? Yeah, yeah. So it, it yeah, exactly. It, it's Blue Swan Records. Right. And thus the Swan Core. Um, and I feel like it's really easy to, to mix up that like Swan Core is derivative just of Will Swan, but it's really the label and the bands that he, the types of bands that he signs. Right. I think that that's pretty cool. We, that's like a, a very small branding that, that we've been, put in because we have an album out on blue swan records right but i think post hardcore is the way to go for us yeah for sure and i i just find it interesting because it, it like the you know all those bands that i mentioned i mean you know circus survive you you could definitely point at being like you know one of the most quote-unquote successful as far as like longevity and you know amount of records put out and you know people Fuck yeah people that care about them but then it, it, it's so bizarre to me because it's like you know a band like uh dance gavin dance and you guys and and you know even though it, you know in many respects is you know commercially viable where you guys can you know tour and and, and sell out many places i mean especially dance gavin where it's like you know you're having billboard charting records and you know yeah you know, whatever, 10 plus years into your career. Yeah. But I, I think so many people just still completely write it off as just like, Oh yeah. It's just like high singing vocals. Like, you know, it's kind of like kid stuff, you know, it's like, yeah, I guess like, yeah. And I, honestly, like it, it see, I mean me being a person who, you know, quite honestly, like I don't listen to that style of music hardly at all but i respect it because i see where it's like oh yeah like clearly there's talent and clearly they're doing something not only right but like it's awesome but yeah do do you kind of feel that it gets kind of pushed aside where it's like oh yeah that's little kid stuff dude i do i definitely do and that's been something that has been an internal discussion of of ours amongst our friends um the band that play with uh, myself, Sergio and Will, um, Sergio and Will who, who, who run the label. And, and I do a lot of the, of the booking and, and show and tour ideas for the label as well. We will talk about that. Um, I think if we're going even more general bands like uh, day to remember have, have helped to change that because they were a screamy band that hit such mainstream success. And while it's still very different type of like screaming and yelling and, and, and the fans are different, um, seeing what a band like Dance Game Dance is doing now, I definitely think it has potential to, uh, with uh, as long as it, the new generation kind of sw- is is swapping. You know, the kids that were uh, twenty years old ten years ago are now thirty and are still familiar with this band and might still listen to them. So, 
I think it's definitely possible to, to be not just pushed aside like that, but I definitely could be wrong because at the same time, whenever you hear any band, like just straight screaming into a microphone, not yelling, not Dave Grohl type of melodic screaming, but just screaming, then that might just be it right there. Be pushed aside to this genre. But uh, I guess the silver lining is this, this genre is still growing so quickly that there, there is huge demand for it. And I think it's, it, the demand is still going up and that's really cool to see because uh, that could be its own monster in itself in, sure. in a few years, which I, which I fucking love. And I've, I've been working towards myself for the last, you know, decade. Right. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. Cause I, I, what heartens me too, you know, even though like I, I'm not a, a, you know, devoted follower to, you know, that, that scene is the fact that there is talent that is, you know, as musicians, there's absolute talent there where it's like, you know, I think that most people that look at teenagers would be like, oh, yeah, they don't listen to challenging music. You know, it's like, yeah. yeah. And so the fact that, you know, you guys and, and many of your peers are being like, you know, we're doing like, you know, 716 time structures with like, you know, insane guitars over it with like, swir- <laughs> you know, 75 part harmonies or whatever. I'm exaggerating, obviously, but right. But like that there is a, a lot of musicianship that's tied up into it in the same way that, you know, your mind was blown when you listen to Alaska, the same kid that's going to, you know, trip across a, a dance record or hail the sun record is going to be like, whoa, like, okay, I can't just be like, you know, doing my, my, my punk power chords. Like I, I kind of want to do this other expressive stuff or whatever. Yeah, dude. I love that. And, and I do want to say it's worth mentioning um, how cool it is to see a band like Chon also be fucking killing it. And be so popular amongst young kids and be selling out these huge rooms with not only just instrumental music, there's no vocals for, for the most part, but such crazy technicality and time signatures and talent, just like you said, talent up on stage. And, um, and there's a huge demand for it. And that's very encouraging. And I love seeing that shit. I really do. It's so fucking cool. Yeah, I know. Totally, totally. Um, well, the last thing I want to hit on was the, the fact that, you know, you, uh, you not only play, you know, music in your band, but then you're very involved in the music industry and you're, bo- you, like you said, you're, you're booking a lot of bands. Um, you know, how, uh, I, I guess how, what motivates you, you know, beyond just, you know, the fact that, you know, it can clearly, you know, make some money beyond just the money that you make in your band, uh, from a functional <laughs> standpoint, but like, you know, why, cause like, are, are you, are you booking and also managing bands or how does that, you know, walk me through what you're doing from the industry perspective? So I actually just book, okay. um, I, I'd like to have a hand in, especially, a lot of the bands that I book, I have very close relationships with. In fact, some of them are, are my best friends. And so I do like to have a hand in managing and, and, and I'll give my opinion. But for the most part, I just book. That's what I do on paper. Uh, and I was booking Hail the Sun, our DIY tours. And then we got management. We got an, an agent. And I thought I still have all these connections all over the West Coast and Maybe I could try my hand at, since I don't, I don't book Gus anymore, I'll book some other bands. And that's kind of how it started. I started to book friends bands and use those same contacts that I was using. And uh, the tours got longer and longer, and they started to get better and better. And I started to get larger bands. And I realized, actually in college, uh, while I was going to school for recording, I, my passion for recording had died. Uh, my senior year, I no longer really wanted to record anymore. And, uh, I was, 
I was do like in, in my lecture classes and shit, just booking. I'd be zoning out, just booking tours for Hail the Sun, uh, in my, in my school classes. And I thought, this is what I really want to do. I, I want to go in, in, in the business side of things. Uh, I feel like I, I discovered a, a business state of mind I didn't realize existed uh, my, my junior and senior year of college once I'd gotten clean as well. And so I just kept it up. And uh, I love to create, uh, especially in this niche that we work in, the, the post-hardcore niche of bands on Equal Vision and Blue Swan Records. I love to just come up with cool ideas for tours and and put together a really solid build of good music. Of course, there, as you know, there's so much logistics, uh, there's, there's a ton of logistics behind it, money, you know, all the stuff that it takes to put a tour together. But when it comes down to it, I really do like to focus on what makes a cool tour, what makes sense for uh, the bands I work with that's going to um, bring out their fans, like make their fans want to come even more and have them take away new fans and set them up to then possibly hit the next tier of their, of, the, of, the, of their, their touring careers. I learned by doing, cause I tour myself. I learn new things every day. I learn like, as you know, the, the industry is kind of an open playing field right now with, with streaming and Spotify. And then it's like a new way to look at things and album cycles are getting shorter and shorter and shorter. And people are trying a bunch of, of, uh, of new things to see what works for, for their artists. And I'm kind of in the same boat, but I do think it still comes down to fans will pay, pay a hard ticket price to come see music that they love. No, no matter how the economy is doing either, they will come out if there's enough appeal to a tour. And I try to keep that in mind at every tour I'm doing is it does this appeal to the ticket buyer that we want to target. And are, is it also going to help their career or just and not be lateral or a step backwards? Yeah. Oh no, no, totally. It's cool. And honestly, it's like, I mean, I, for gosh, for uh, close to, you know, 13, 14 years, I worked at labels. Like I worked at uh, century media records and I also helped out with like no sleep records and a bunch of oh, other nice. labels. But like, I remember the struggle that I had, like when I signed a band to the label of just being like, okay, like maybe we can find a manager, which is somewhat easier, but like, dude, booking agents, like finding a, like you were talking about earlier, a reliable person who would like take a band and be able to like get them some shows. And it was like that, that you felt like there was a diamond in the rough, you know? And so like what you're doing is definitely like, I wish I could have transported you back to, you know, (laughs) 2004 and been like, oh damn, dude, I wish I could have had you like, you know, booking some of my bands. Cause yeah, it's, uh, it's hard. So you're, you're, you're doing the Lord's work, my friend. (laughs) i i I truly do love it i can do it remotely the agency i work for um artery global uh, we just go by ag booking uh they let me they let me live the lifestyle i want while traveling and that's been absolutely imperative in being a part of that agency is uh of course there's other agencies out there and they all would want me to be in town working from a desk and that's that'd be tight if I didn't tour, but right. I tour. And I, and I, I'm still a creator and I, and I have to go out. I, that's like, I could, I could not see myself not performing, not touring, not writing, not making my own schedule. And artery was just like, as long as you're producing and you're staying on top of all the work that you have, then you can pop in the office, you know, once or twice a month and, and, and that's fine. And that's what I do. And I fucking love it. Yeah. Um, I love working from the road, put, uh, putting together cool ideas, and just being available. That was the last thing I was, I was going to touch on when it comes to, to 
to the booking world or, or just being in the industry in general, some of the people I look up to the most in the industry, <clears throat> I've noticed when I first got in it, were just always available. They always responded. You could get a call back within 24 hours. I, I mean, usually a lot less than that. They just were, you could count on them to answer. And I really took that away. I, I think 50% of work is just fucking showing up and being able to answer a phone call. <laughs> totally. For Fuck. sure. It's so, it, it, I'll get back to you. Yeah. It's so, it is so funny that that like that the base expectation of most people in the music industry is like, Oh dude, they respond to an email and it's like, what? <laughs> like, can we not exist in a world? And like, I, I, my, my day job now, like I work in the podcast industry and like, I deal with, you know, like quote unquote normal people who are not like you and I. And like, even then, like, because I respond to an email in like two minutes, they're like, Oh my God, this guy's an all-star. It's like, what the? <laughs> so our problem that we like, or, or the thing that we see and we're responding to emails and like, we're being productive, like that's respected in the outside world too, dude. So <laughs> you're, you're good to go. As long as you start responding to emails, be like, I'll get back to you. People are like, Oh my God, Donovan, you're, amazing <laughs> that's fucking dope man i i, I it really is. It, it means a lot to just be able to respond and also not i think would my band want this like am i doing work enough work that if i was my band's agent right now how would i feel about myself and i try to always kind of check it like that because i care so much about hail the sun and, and cn bar obviously that i want to make sure i'm doing the same type of like the same standard of work for the band that i'm working with or else it's not, or else it's not mutually beneficial. I mean, and it's not, it's not even hard feelings. If I can't perform like they want, then they're better off going to find someone else. So I will really only commit these days to bands. I can put my full effort behind. Yeah, no, that's totally cool. That's totally cool. Well, dude, I, uh, yeah, this, this was exactly what I wanted it to be. So thank you for, uh, <laughs> thank you for hanging out with me. this was super fun. Dude, thank you so much, man. Seriously, Ray, I appreciate you taking the time to pick my weird brain and being able to deal with my scheduling there you have it that was a great great chat i enjoyed it thank you very much donovan for making it happen and thank you very much rich his publicist we took like uh, seven months to set this up it was kind of ridiculous but we figured it out and it was fun i was glad that it happened Next week is a fun conversation that I just recently had with Paul Shirley, who uh, is an ex-NBA player, a professional basketballer, and also a writer. He's written some books, and he's a, a journalist out there in the world. And uh, we discussed music, and it was really, really fun because we drew some parallels between being an athlete and playing in a band, and uh, yeah, it was just a really engaging chat. So uh, I can't wait to bring that to you next week. That's what's happening. All right? Until then, please be safe, everybody. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Shh.